You know, and um, I wanted to share something with you. Um, in a Peanuts cartoon, Lucy demanded that Linus change TV channels, threatening him with her fist if he didn't. What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over, says Linus, or asks Linus. Well, Lucy replies, these five fingers, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl it up, put them together in a single unit, and they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Which channel do you want? Asks Linus. Turning away, he looks at his fingers and goes, why can't you guys or get organized like that? Now, I share that with you because one of a simple illustration that we don't think about. Do you ever recall whenever you get a paper cut on a finger? And then you're going to grab something. It could be a power tool. It could be a golf club. It could be a mic stand. If that finger hurts just a little bit, now you got to let that finger go and the other three have to hold on to it. But then if you have a problem with your other finger and all of a sudden you only could do two fingers, you start doing this. Then my capacity to hold this mic stand up is not as stable as if I can do this. Now, if you have a problem and one finger's going this way and the other finger's going that way and saying, I don't want to work with you, and then this one goes, well, I don't either, and then all of a sudden you only have one finger. You're not very stable. Then if your thumb's not in it, you're all, and you know, there's the old, com, you know, the old comment of it's all, you're all thumbs. Can you imagine? Now, I'm not making fun of anyone who doesn't have the capability of doing that today. All I'm simply saying is that if the fingers don't work together, your hands are not stable. And then if your hands are not stable, you don't have the capability to be able to do to the potential that you're able to do it. And I think that comes in line with the church. If we're not together in one mind, working together toward a goal, then what happens is we're like a one or two fingers working on each hand. We're not working to our capability. But when we're together in one mind, we're working together with a purpose and a goal, we're all together going toward that target, Nothing can stop us now. Ain't no stopping us now. We're on the groove. Remember that song? Well, you're on a groove when you come together moving toward a goal. But you can't do it if one person's going one way and one person's going another, and then you're not sure. It's kind of like a snowflake. One snowflake in and of itself can't do anything, but you put a bunch of snowflakes together and they stick together, they can do damage. Maybe not so good for some kids. They like it. They can go sleigh riding. They can go tubing. But to others who are us older, we don't like to drive it anymore. It's a nightmare. But my whole point is that when you're sticking together and you're working together and you're coming together as one mind, it's effective for the kingdom. I mean, can you imagine, think about it, the community that exists with the, with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The community that exists within that realm, empowered us to have the opportunity to have a relationship with God, then God comes in the form of a Messiah, in the form and the likeness of man, comes on earth, dies 
for sin, but prior to him dying for sin so that he can be resurrected, he prepares 12 men. And when he prepares 12 men, he prepares three of them specifically, Peter, James, and John, to start the church. And when he does that, he does it in a way that he prepares them, disciples them, trains them so that they can move forward for the kingdom of God to start what we know as the church. But what's interesting is that when we think about it, them together, it wasn't just the 12, it wasn't just the 70, it was the 120 that we know in the book of Acts. And then when that happened, when it was in the gospels to the, to the book of Acts, it starts to launch off to millions and millions of people have come to know Christ. But what was the one thing they had in common? The one mind that they had to have in common? Jesus, the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That's what kept them together. That's what brought forth the harmonious unity of the Trinity that should bring the harmonious unity that should exist in the body of Christ. And if the body of Christ is harmonious in unity like the Trinity, ain't no stopping us now. We're on the groove. You see, what's, what's happening is that God establishes that in the Gospels when Jesus is referring to that. He's training the 12. Then he starts the church in Acts 1, the inauguration of the church through the Pentecost, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence where the Holy Spirit is the agent carrying the acts of the apostles throughout the book, throughout the narrative. And as you see that, you say, wow, what has come forth in that? Well, we see it in the book of Acts. And even we see in the writings of Paul, he alludes to one mind. Look with me, if you would, because these men of God who were 12 disciples were chosen of God. And when they were chosen of God, they were chosen of God to accomplish a task. They were prayed for in Luke 6, 12. Jesus prayed all night long for these men. And then God said, I have a plan. But here in chapter one, in the book of Acts, shortly after Jesus ascends, they come across a situation where they have to make a choosing because Judas is out of the picture. And in verse 12 of chapter one, it says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Verse 13, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were all staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James and Simon and, Ze and, and Judas and Simon the Zealot and Judas and James. It's a son of James. And then verse 14, all of these with one accord. You'll see in one other version, it says with one mind in one accord, even in the ESV, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So they're together in one accord, one mind, about to make a decision. They weren't making a decision on their own. It was God who was making it through them, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He led them at the end of this chapter to cast lots, and they cho had chosen someone to be the 12th disciple, the 12th apostle. And then we see in chapter 4, as we are about to head there for, for our, our particular narrative that we're going to talk about today, in chapter 4, 
we see that there is another narrative going on because now we know Peter and John had confronted someone who was a, was a person who was lame at the gate. And while he was lame, he was asking for money. And Peter pulled by and said, I have no money for you, but that which I have, I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk, get up and walk. And the man gets up and he walks and a miracle happens. And all those around there couldn't believe it. The Sanhedrin and the elders and all the leaders, the Jewish leaders are saying, wait a minute, this can't happen. And they get arrested. And after they get arrested, they're placed and they're released. And as they're released, we see the narrative moving forward in chapter four. But before we get to verse 23, I I wanna take a precedence to just look at verses 15 of chapter four and read on through chapter, or verse 22. It says, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? These were the Sanhedrin, the high priests and the elders were all talking amongst each other to find out what to do with these particular men, Peter and John, for they had, A notable sign had been performed through them and is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we we cannot deny it. Why can't they deny it? Because it's happened. They've seen it for themselves. They've seen that this man who was lame, there was plenty who were witnessing the fact that he was once lame, but now he could walk. So the miracle has been seen. In fact, in the Gospels, when a miracle happened, it would show forth the deity of Jesus Christ. It was supernatural. It wasn't natural. So for a man to be lame and then to walk, it was not something that someone could just walk by and say, oh, that happens every day. It didn't. It was supernatural. And now we heard about this Jesus, but now the apostles, those who walked with them, the uneducated ones, because he even says it earlier in this chapter, they're uneducated. But in verse eight, it says, but Peter filled by the spirit. And so it goes on in verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. Why? Because if they knew it was going to spread, There was nothing stopping it. See, they knew something was about to happen. Hindsight 2020, we're looking in and we're saying, what's happening here? We know, because we've seen already the story, but they're thinking of it. We can stop this from happening. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them. He says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Very key. Those two words, seen and heard. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for how they were all praising God for what had happened. Meaning, when you and I see what God does or they saw what God did, they praised him. How can anybody deny that? How can anyone deny that God is at work when something happens? especially when it's supernatural, when it's hard to explain. It's impossible to explain. I have many people who don't know Christ who say to me, Bruno, how in the world are you where you're at in your life right now? And I begin to share the witness. But how do you know it was God? Because I've seen and I've heard. I can testify to you what God's done. But faith is something you cannot 
quantify. I can tell you, you can. I say, I can tell you what I've seen and I've heard. And it's quantified in my heart. I believe, even my son said it to me yesterday when we were talking, but dad, a lot of the kids are saying that the Bible, it's not even true. It's just a book. Well, son, faith is what I've seen and what I've heard. I can tell you and I can share with you what God has done to me. Because it's a witness. It's a testimony. And now these men of Jerusalem, these Sanhedrin, these religious leaders, the ones who claim to know it all, are saying, we cannot deny what we've seen and what we're hearing, but let the other people not. Now, well, why, is it, why was it a threat? Because they knew it was true. See, whenever you're trying to stop something from happening, it's because you know the truth is in front of you. If you don't want someone to do something, it's because you know if they do it, it's going to work. And so you're trying to stop it. And that's what they're doing. And so they stopped in there. And so it says, when, verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of other people for all they were praising God. So they couldn't be punished. Verse 22, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And so here was a man in his later years, harder probably to find healing. And the 40-year-old was saying that he was one who can understand about life. But look at verse 23 with me if you can. Just look with me there because this is a key statement here. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And verse 24, now watch this. And when they heard it, let's stop there. First of all, in this time of the first century, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have social media. They didn't have text messaging. They weren't able to message you on your Facebook so you could even have live chat. You can get on phones. I mean, now you can do live phone video phones where you can see the person who you're talking to. They didn't have any of that. So when they had to report something, it had to be sent. It took time for the church at Jerusalem at this time to even hear about what was happening on the field. And so when they knew in, just in their area, they heard when it was reported to them, it goes back to what did they hear? What was reported to them? It goes back to verses 18, 19, and 20. What was reported to them was they were told not to speak anymore. They were told that if they do, they would be in trouble. They would be locked up. They were told that keep your mouth shut. Don't even dare speak the name of Jesus anymore. And when they heard this report, this is what it said they did. They lifted up their voices together to God, or in another version, with one mind. What they did was they came together, lifting up their voices to God in one mind, because they heard about the persecution. They heard about the threats. They heard about the fact that they could be locked up for sharing anything about Jesus. But they weren't willing to give in. Their demeanor was, we're going to trust God to move forward. They were with one mind, one accord, saying, we don't care how tough it gets, we're going forward. We don't care how difficult it is. We don't care if people beat us up, hurt us, do whatever. We're going forward for the kingdom of God. There was a, a courageous movement of these people. But what, what was their courageous movement? This is what they were saying. Listen to, listen to the words that they were praying as they were praying. It says, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord 
In the Greek means this, master. It gives the idea of master. And when they see that, that the master is there, they, they're coming together and they're, and they're recognizing who is God. They recognize who is God and who they are not. So they recognize that as the master. Secondly, they go in and they talk about creator. And the creator is one who, who is in charge, sovereign, in control, able to command and do whatever. When God commanded, it happened. He spoke in all of creation into existence. When God spoke, it came through. When God speaks today, it comes to fruition. When God speaks truth to us, it's a guarantee. When he makes a promise, it's not gonna go without happening. He promises to protect us, it's gonna happen. He's gonna protect us. If he promises that he's gonna meet our provisions and all our needs, he's gonna meet all our needs. See, the promises are there. So when we speak to God, we go with confidence and we go with courage. And these guys, they weren't afraid of it. They were all together with one mind, not afraid, moving forward. And you're saying, but wait a minute, Pastor Bruno, are you telling me that they they even had a doubt? I'm sure they did. But their doubt turned to faith. Their fear didn't become part of their doubt. Their worry didn't consume them. They trusted God. Because when the persecution came there, they trusted God and believed him for what was to be said. And so he's, he's sharing that he's the master, he's the creator. And then he goes on to the third thing here, which is so important. In verse 25, he says, and through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's doing now. Luke, getting this recorded through the prayer. They're connecting the Old Testament with the New Testament. They're connecting David with Jesus the Messiah. They're bringing the continuity of the Old Testament into the New Testament. That's theological. Something you got to hold on to. The Holy Spirit, who's still being present to those around them, they didn't recognize yet because the Holy Spirit was temporary and selective who would to be filled, but now he's becoming permanent and indwelling in the New Testament. So he's making this correlation and connection to say that which we're going through right now has already been prophesied about Jesus. Watch it now, because this is why he shares the Holy Spirit here, because the Holy Spirit is the agent throughout the book of Acts. He's the third person of the Trinity. He speaks of the truth of Jesus. He is the truth, and he's leading the acts of the apostles throughout the book. And so he goes on to say this, and he's, he's reciting Psalm chapter two, verses one and two. While, he goes, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, it's important because their prayer is done with humility and submission and obedience and a teachable spirit. But what they're recognizing is that in the Old Testament is the same as today because at that point they had who? the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the chief high priests who were coming against them. And all those who were there, the Jewish people who were against them. And they had everybody coming together against God and Jesus the anointed. But watch in verse 26, the word gathered together. 
It's not the same word in the Greek as one mind, but the idea is the same. These Gentiles and these Israelites had something in common in the rulers and the religious people. They gathered together in one mind. What was their target? Their goal was to take Jesus out, to plot against him. In fact, that's the word conspire and plot against God and Jesus. That was the whole purpose of it, to stop these men to talk about Jesus and to plot against them. That was what was prophesied. And chapter two is a messianic psalm that's highlighted that's so important. Now watch, watch if you look to in that chapter, Psalm two, and you see that there's something else that's mentioned in that particular psalm. Because here's what is decreed, and this is David speaking, who is in the lineage of Jesus. He says in verse seven of Psalm two, he says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you. This is in the book of Hebrews, chapter one, verses five and seven. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of your earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Meaning this so-called raging of Gentiles and the Israelites who are against Jesus, what was said of that messianic psalm was that Jesus will overcome them. So while they were praying, they had the courage to know that no matter how much persecution came against them, even to the point of death, Jesus was overcoming the nations. Because the messianic king is coming to earth to do that in the millennial kingdom in the future, but also in their present narrative at this time. So while they were seeing and hearing about Jesus, they were also touching persecution. Now most would say that, hey, get me out of this. Get me out of this, Lord. You know, what was their prayer? Was their prayer, um, was their prayer particularly, you know, uh, God remove this you know, situation from me? No, that wasn't what their prayer was. Was their prayer saying, God changed the hearts of, their peop- of these Sanhedrins and these religious leaders? Um, no, that wasn't their prayer. God, I pray that you would change my neighbor's heart so that they would like me and everything would be at peace and we can all get along and I don't have to share the gospel that much and it'll just be, you know, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. No. See, in all of these situations, they didn't pray for that. They didn't pray for the situation to get away and just to be peace. Um, what was happening was they were, they were asking God for something else. Look at verse 27. And onward. It says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus Christ, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Confirming this prophecy of Psalm 2, 1 through 2. To do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. Now, watch now. Here's how we know, secondly, not only from the Messianic Psalm, but right here in this verse, and particularly in verse 28. Because this is what he's saying. Not only has it been prophesied that Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, will overcome all the nations around them, but this is what they prayed. God, to do whatever your hand, your power, really the hand is the word in Greek, your power, and your plan has predestined to take place. Put your finger there, and let's look back at chapter 2, verse 23. Because Peter's talking to the Jewish people in chapter 2. But this is what he says with great boldness. 
Now watch this now. He says this in verse 22 and 23. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. You've seen and you've heard. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So they're saying, Lord, by your hand, you do whatever you want because by their hands, they crucified your son. But by your hand and your plan, it was already set up before the foundations of the world. So Jesus came with the purpose, the Missio Dei, to die on the cross for sin. So the plan was simple. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I go in a situation that seems impossible for me, and I know that God has my back, there's something about it. I know I can move forward with courage. When I know that no matter what happens, God's going to do it for his name's sake, that it has nothing to do with me. I was praying this morning, and I want to tell you something. I said, God, whatever you want to do with my life or with this church or whatever you want to do, do it for your name's sake. Forget about us. If you bought us with a price and we are in Christ and you bought us with Jesus, then it has nothing to do with us. It has all to do with you because you will not be faithless to yourself. You will be faithful to your namesake. And Lord, don't let me get in your way. And I was crying. I said, oh God, don't let me get in your way because I'll mess it up. But God, I need you to do it for your namesake. That is my prayer, Lord. Let your plan come about. Because I know your plan is this, to reach those who are far away from God, to reach those who need Jesus because I have him and I want someone else to have him too. Amen? So we have to say, God, change us. This is all for the kingdom. This has nothing to do with us. If you believe he's changed your life, wouldn't you want to share that gift with someone else? I sure do. I want someone to be set free from their sin because they're enslaved. I know what it's like to be enslaved by sin, and I want someone else to know Jesus so they can be set free. Amen? Then we have to be excited about that. We have to be willing to say, God, live in me today. I don't share things from 30 years ago too often, but I can tell you that he lives today. And he wants to do a work through you and I, but he wants to do a work through all. He wants everyone to come one mind, one heart, with the idea of saying the gospel has nothing to do about us and never will for his namesake. And that's what's happening here. He's, they're not asking for God to deliver them. Hezekiah did in chapter 37, Isaiah they didn't ask for it. They were asking for something far greater that I wish I could ask for, that I've been asking God to give me even further. In verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Meaning, Lord, they're threatening us, but I know you got my back. Anyone can come up to me if the Lord says, don't worry, which he did tell the apostles, don't worry, I got your back, move forward. Amen, in chapter 18, we know that. But if God said to me and whispered, and it wasn't, it's not audible today, but in my spirit, and says, you do this, I got your back. 
do it. I've done it already. I've done it plenty of times in my life. Because God instills in us a courage. He wants to unleash it in each one of us. They were willing. And you might say, well, Bruno, that's not my character. Well, I gotta be honest with you. I'd rather make things much easier than the way I, I, I don't, it's not as though I love confrontation more than I love it when Jesus tells me to do it because I know he's got my back. Otherwise, I'm like anyone else. If I can avoid it, I'll try to. But I know, too, that with confrontation, loving confrontation, God sets people free. And he heals. Because this is what he says this. Then he go on. Lord, give us boldness while you stretch your hand to heal. See, it's through adversity, it's through trials, it's through difficulty, it's through impossibilities that God heals people. You and I, if we're not confronted with our sin or things in our lives that are holding us down, we'll never be set free and healed. We'll continually play it easy. God's saying no, and these guys got it. They said no, we don't want it to be easy. Lord, we trust you, bring it on. The Lord says, I got your back. It'll be easy, easy peasy, we're going through this. Because this is what happens. He says, while your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of the, ho- the holy servant Jesus Christ, the healing hand happens because they know they're going to experience trials. They know it. But they're willing to go through it. And that's the beauty of it when you and I can be used of God as one mind for the kingdom of God to set people free. Why does the church exist? Make disciples. Why does the church exist? You got to evangelize before you make disciples. And while you're making disciples, I sure hope it makes you want to make evangelize someone. It's a circular motion. It's just this thing that goes, if I'm making disciples and people are growing deeper in the faith of Christ, they're going to want to share Christ with others. And while they share Christ with others and they get saved, they're going to be discipled. The church is the agent to reach the lost. With one mind, we come together. The absolute isn't how we do it. The absolute is that we do it with the truth. And we move forward. People's lives today are being set free because of the truth. And if the message of the gospel is setting people free through the power of the Holy Spirit, we gotta do all we can to reach people. That's what the church exists for. One mind, one heart, moving forward for the kingdom. He says this is what happened when they prayed those, those things. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for God's healing. And in verse 31, it says, when they, ha- they had prayed, this is three things that happened here, the results. God did three things. After they prayed, the place which they were gathered together in one accord and one mind was shaken, physically shaken. Uh, have you ever been in prayer where it was shaken? And I'm not talking about an earthquake. I'm talking about shaken. Shaken and bacon, have you ever been in that? I've been enough in prayer where I felt sometimes we were so in the spirit that I felt I was off the chair. I kid you not. Especially when I first came to Christ, it was amazing. 
because we were so in one mind together to hear the gospel. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you got to understand something. At this point, it's chapter 4. They haven't experienced the Holy Spirit yet. It hasn't gone beyond the four areas. It hasn't reached Samaria yet. So they're being filled with the Spirit. They're experiencing the Holy Spirit at that time. So we can't put a doctrine of the Holy Spirit based on that. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit in, in the narrative is still new, but they're being experienced. So they've exposed, God's exposing his power. God's exposing his presence, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then three, he exposes his protection. Why? Because he says, go and speak the word in boldness. I got your back. So God offers three things, his power, his presence, and his protection. That's what he's offering us already today. We have his power through Christ. We know what grieves and quenches the power of God, sin. But we have his power. We have his presence. Again, his presence is not present as we walk with him. Sin is what causes us to go away from in fellowship, but he offers us his presence. And his protection, his promise that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So I want to encourage you to be one mind. You shouldn't be one mind about anything else. I want to challenge you too to think about this because this is something I felt the need to ask and only you guys can answer this. What has God done in your life this week, this past week? If someone came up to you and said, report to me what God has done in your life, what's happened? How many of you can share that? That you had an experience with God throughout the week and you had something to share, that he's at work. You know, I've been praying all week for God to, I'll be vulnerable with you, I've been praying for God to, for the last two or three weeks, to restore the joy of my salvation, to, to pull away my apathy, to draw me, to set me free, and to allow me to be more on fire for him and excited for his presence in my life. And I'm reading through the Psalms as my devotional, and I got to Psalm chapter 61, and I've never come across this. It's just it's beautiful. And God really spoke to me, and I, I want to read it to you. It says, um, verse 1, Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. This is David. He's going through a tough time. From the end of the earth I call to you when your heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Then verse four, this is what I think kind of rocked my world a little bit. And this is in another version. Um, th this is an ESV, but I can share another version that really just rocked my world. This one says in ESV, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Another version, NET says, let me be a permanent guest in your home. It's not paraphrasing it. It's taking another portion of the Hebrew. But a permanent guest, wow. A guest usually just comes once in a while. But a permanent guest means I want this to be a familiar place every day of my life. I want to dwell in your presence. That's why he created us. To know him. To love him. To enjoy him. So that when he sets us free, we can help set other people free. That's the purpose of why we live. I mean, the purpose of the believer 
is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 29. But can you imagine how stale our relationship with God can be? And I ask you that question again. What would you report if someone came up and tell me about, report to me what God has done in your life this past week? If you don't have an answer, that's okay. I hope that challenges you to start saying, yeah, I need to get back to the Lord. I need to dwell in his presence. I need to enjoy him. Because you know, at Jesus' feet, at mercy's seat, there is where my weaknesses and his strength finally meet. It's part of a song. It's a, it's a great song. I used to sing years ago, but it's at Jesus' feet, at mercy's seat, there is where my weaknesses and his strength finally meet. Because when you spend time with him, you become one with him. Then the next person who does that becomes one with him, and the next person does. And then all of a sudden, you got five to 10 people, one with God. And you take those 10 people, like 10 fingers, what kind of work could you do? You could do some crazy work for the kingdom of God. That's what it's going to require for a church that's even in this situation that you guys are in. One mind, one heart, moving forward, his power, his presence, his protection with great boldness. We don't know where God's going to, we said last week, we're at the starting line. We don't know where God's going to take his church. But please keep in mind it's his church. The greatest advantage we have, the benefit that we have is we go along for the ride. We get gifts upon gifts and grace upon grace. But I want to encourage you, spend time with the Lord in these coming weeks. Hear his voice. Be open to what he wants to do in you. Be honest, like I am in front of you. Sometimes we get apathetic. It's stale. Return to the Lord. Be bold. Ask God for boldness. I encourage you this week, ask God to give you boldness to speak the gospel to someone. You'll have plenty of opportunity, right? Walmart, Target, shopping centers, neighbors. If you don't like Walmart or Target, go to Weiss down the street or ShopRite or something. But you go somewhere to get your goods. You've got plenty of opportunity. I do that every day. I look and go, man, what the opportunity I have to share Christ with someone. So I want to encourage you to do that. As the worship team is coming up, I challenge you this week to do so. And let that, write that down. Say, God, give me the boldness to share Christ with someone this week. I've got your power, your presence, and your protection. Let's ask God to do that work this week. Father, thank you. Help us to be of one mind. One mind in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the humble servant. The servant that was willing to obey his father. Not willing to take anything on his own as his own initiative, but always did everything with the father. Thank you, Jesus, for being submissive to the father. And thank you, Jesus, for being an awesome example. Thank you for being God. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sin. Thank you for taking a brutal death for our, on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for your apostles that were willing to be courageous enough to trust you in the midst of persecution. What examples they were for us. 
Thank you that you promised them your power, your presence, and your protection. And you haven't stopped that promise. God, I pray that as a people together, that we would be one mind, excited about what you're going to do with your church in the coming months and weeks and years, and that we'll trust you, Father, for whatever you want it to be. And that, Lord, we are moving forward, no looking back, moving forward for your kingdom. Because we know, like we entitled this series, this two-week series, we're better together for the kingdom of God. So, Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that work, one mind for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen.